You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. With me, your host, Katie Charlwood, history harlot and reader of books. Happy New Year, everybody. It is a new year. It is 2023. Don't make resolutions. They're stupid. I mean, unless you need them. Like some people, it works for me. It doesn't because I no, no. I've got ADHD. It just doesn't work for me because uh, I don't need to feel like a failure like two months into the year. But I think of starting 2023 with the same energy, like the same energy that we want to continue. So I spent my New Year's with with my friend Shona in Galway and we had a woman who definitely did not poison their husband's party and are very sad about it. We had gowns, crowns, cowboy boots, lingerie. It was a very interesting party. We looked amazing, by the way. Check out the TikTok. We looked fabulous. And it was a good, it was a really good night. And, and yeah, it was like, spend time with friends have a good time, look amazing. And that's what I would like to continue the year with. Uh, yeah, everyone everyone should own a crown. I don't care who you are, owning a crown is just fun. It's just a good time. And her greyhound Gozer is like the best dog in the world and I will not hear any information to the contrary, thank you very much. No, he's a good boy and he deserves all the treats and a new jumper because he's so cute and he deserves it i've decided um but yeah that's it was it was a really good really fun time really chill we sang show tunes it was a good good time and i think i want to bring that energy like into 2023 and something i did for myself actually is personal moment so i am trying to be more respectful of my own feelings this year and to show myself respect and to not settle for any more bullshit bollocks or tomfuckery like no like i am so sick of the bar being on the floor and men bringing a fucking shovel like what no stop and i just decided after you know being left on red by someone when they were supposed to be organising when our next date would be. And 
being left on red for a day, day and a half, two days at a time before getting a response, I was like, you know what? No. I decided on New Year's Eve after sending an objectively hilarious joke, um, which is, it's all fun and games until there's a giant penis in your bed. Because uh, in, <laughs> in Shauna's house, she had put this penis pillow in the bed. His name is Francoise. Um, he, I really want to make him a moustache because I think it would suit him. But he's like this big, soft, cuddly, like really cute penis. And I don't know if you've seen a penis, but they're not usually that adorable, but this one was. And so I sent a photo and I'm like, ha ha, and crickets, nothing. So I was like, you know what? Okay, well, <clears throat> this is enough. And so on New Year's Eve in the morning, I was like, no, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna block them because I'm not gonna sit here and wait and have my New Year's Eve ruined because I'm waiting for them to message me back when I can just have a good time with my friend and not sit there looking and waiting for messages. Like, I'm done. Like, I would much rather be single and alone than be in any kind of relationship, whether it's, um, casual or very romantic or whatever with someone who is not actively interested in me like especially when it's like new and you're in the beginning like they should be excited like if if you're not excited to see someone and talk to someone in the beginning you you should not be involved with them in any way that's that's a red flag that's no 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 but I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, quit your jibber-jabber. In fact, me. In fact, you, I will. But first, we've got to get our source on. Our sources are Cleopatra, Beyond the Myth by Michel Chauveau Cleopatra, Last Queen of Egypt by Joyce Tildesley Cleopatra, The Life and Death of a Pharaoh by Edith Flammarion Cleopatra by Jack Lindsay. Cleopatra, a study in politics and propaganda by Hans Volkman. The Reign of Cleopatra by Stanley M. Burstein. Cleopatra and Anthony, Power, Love and Politics in the Ancient World by Diana Preston. Cleopatra and Egypt by Sally Ann Ashton. And of course we have our old favourites, History.com and Biography.com. Are you sitting comfortably? Good, then let's begin. So before we even get into the story of Cleopatra, there is so much going on. Like, what I always find really fascinating about her is the fact that she has been misconstrued and misrepresented, like, throughout history. Like, she was slandered in life, and then that misinformation spread into death, which, you know, how much did men in power dislike this woman that they felt the need to destroy her reputation in life and death? Like, that's something. That is definitely something. And for so long, we were told of Cleopatra's, like, beauty and wiles and all that stuff. And a lot of it is absolute bollocks. But I am getting ahead of myself. So let's talk about Cleopatra, or Cleopatra the Seventh, if you want to get uh, fancy about it. 
Cleopatra the seventh Philopater was born in 69 BCE. We have a year, which good because the Egyptians were very good at keeping records. So that's handy. Month, whatever, we don't have, but we have a year. So that's, that's something. Let's, let's just appreciate that for a moment. So Cleopatra, her name means, well, Cleopatra, the father beloved. So when she was born, I mean, the fact that she had functioning lungs is a fucking miracle because her family tree was more like a wreath. You see, um, even though like in general sort of Greek society and Roman society really looked down on this practice, um, the Ptolemies, they would often marry like brother and sister, cousins and whatnot, the original Lannisters, if you will. So they would marry each other off and it was just seen as a way of, for them it was like keeping the blood pure, but I don't know if you've ever seen King Charles of Habsburg. Um, y- yeah, yeah, you, it's not good. Usually that amount of, I'm going to say inbreeding, does not turn out well. Also, in addition, furthermore, I'm going to apologise now for the repeating of names because there's a lot of um, naming after each other. Like, there's so many Ptolemies and Cleopatras and it it just continues. So you're just going to have to hopefully follow along um, with, with this. So by the time Cleopatra's born, she already has an older sister, Bernice. And somewhere after Cleopatra being born, her mother, also known as Cleopatra, she just disappears. There's no like information like from records, she just kind of goes. And then in her absence, three more siblings are born. So her dad, Ptolemy, has three more kids, two boys and a girl. So her half-siblings, Ptolemy Jr., Ptolemy Jr. Jr. and Arsinoe. So the Ptolemaic regime, I keep calling the regime, the reign, the line, they're like the last big dynasty to rule Egypt. But they're not Egyptian. Like Cleopatra's not Egyptian. She's Greek. She's Macedonian. And it's all because of Alexander the Great. He had this like dude, Ptolemy the saviour, who was like his bestie. And he gave him basically rule of Egypt. So they're crowned, they're always crowned in Egypt, but they tended to live in Alexandria. What a surprise. So they would live in Alexandria and they would just kind of rule Egypt from there. And they spoke Greek and they were just very Greek, really. They didn't too much connect with sort of the Egyptian people too much. Not really. They just kind of ruled them. So as it turns out, Ptolemy Sr., he is not really, he's not beloved by the people. He's he's kind of an ineffective leader and things are not going well for him. And in, what was it like, I think it was 59 BCE, he basically gets kicked out of Egypt. So he is struggling to rule throughout Cleopatra's childhood. And so she's in Alexandria, where the Library of Alexandria is. 
and she has a tutor for Lostratus. And he is teaching her all of this shit. He is teaching her to rule. And she's also learning, um, she's very much a very Greek education, but she also learns like a bunch of languages. So naturally her first language is Greek, but then she learns to read and write in Egyptian, making her like the first member of the Ptolemaic like line to do so in 300 years. So like for three centuries, not one ruler of Egypt spoke Egyptian. So she becomes fluent in Egyptian, Greek, Arabic, Ethiopian, Trogodite, Hebrew, Syrian, Median, Latin, and Parthian. Like, she learns a fuck ton of language. She is a polyglot. So she learns all this stuff. Because she is a smart cookie. She watches everything and she learns. And by the time she's a teenager, like, things aren't going too well for her father. And there's a wee bit of a coup. And her sister Bernice and Cleopatra Tryphena, I think. It was definitely a Cleopatra. I don't know which one. Um, It could be their mother, maybe? It's it's a bit muddy. Like this information's kind of wishy washy, but there was a Cleopatra, probably a mother, you know, helped get Bernice onto the throne, and Ptolemy and Cleopatra seventh. They're forced to flee. So we know it had to be Cleopatra who was with him because it said he took his daughter. And Bernice is on the throne, Arsinoe is like a wee girl at this point. And Cleopatra is the only one whose age like fits in this. So he is exiled and he's going from pillar to post, like trying to get support to like retake his, his throne. And for a long time this doesn't happen. But then Cleopatra and Bernice's mother dies under mysterious circumstances, leaving Bernice to be the sole ruler. She sends diplomats to Rome just to kind of like fight for her cause, you know. And her father, Ptolemy XII, decides he wants to just kill them. And he does. He kills her ambassadors. This, this does not go down well. That being said, luckily for Ptolemy, he had some Roman backers with a good bit of cash who decided to finance you know, some Roman soldiers going in, fighting Bernice's army, and restoring Ptolemy to power. So when he comes in, retakes the throne, has Bernice and all of her supporters executed, and at this point, yes, his wife is dead, as he makes Cleopatra his co-regent. So from the age of 14, she is ruling alongside her father. Now, in 51 BCE, Ptolemy XII passes away. He dies. And whatever way his will is put together is it puts Ptolemy XIII, her younger brother who's like 13 or something, puts him and Cleopatra as co-rulers. Now, uh, as again, the Ptolemies, they used to marry each other. Now, we don't actually have any evidence 
that they did marry. I mean, it would have been strange for them not to. So if it didn't happen, then, um, yeah. That would have been a very clear sign from Cleopatra herself. But they're ruling together. And within a couple months of them ruling together, his name starts getting dropped from like official documents, making it very, very clear that Cleopatra was not intent on sharing power with her teenage brother. I mean, she's already been ruling for four years. And then this teenage boy, she's told is her, not only her equal, but she's actually supposed to be subordinate. Like, he's supposed to be the big I am and she's supposed to follow his lead when he is a child who has not been like involved in any of this. Where she has actually been ruling for so long. And like, yeah, within a couple months, she just starts removing his shit. Wait, no, he's not 13 yet, he's 10. He's 10. She has to rule alongside her 10 year old brother. So literal child, actual child. And what the actual fuck nonsense is this bullshit? Like, no. So Cleopatra, she really leans into the Egyptian sides of things. So when it comes to being crowned, like she does everything in a very Egyptian way, she brings the bull's head up to the hill, she does everything in a very traditionally Egyptian way, which the Greeks were not too happy about, they thought it was kind of weird, but, you know, she knew she was ruling a certain people and she wanted to represent them properly and she wanted their support. like. Another thing she did is she leaned into the religion and mythology of Egypt where she, like, pharaohs were meant to be, like, you know, the, the divine right of kings and the representation of gods in the earth. Like, a living god, really. And so she positioned herself as the reincarnation of the goddess Isis, which is really fucking smart. Like, she is leaning into all the ways in which she you know, as, as a leader, you know, why she should be followed and respected. And it's just, it's so, so clever. But unfortunately for Cleopatra in this first year that she is, she's ruling, is there are famines and floods, like the weather's not good, the crops aren't doing well, so things are looking bad for her. And then, you know, the, the Syrians and the Romans are having like a tiffle, and she sides with the Syrians, so the Romans are just pissed at her already. And this leads to them taking Ptolemy's side with his supporters and Arsinoe. And they get Cleopatra just ousted. She gets exiled from Egypt. Now, Cleopatra is not a fool. But of course, Cleopatra is not going to take this lying down. So she, you know, goes around, she drums up mercenaries, she gets an army, and she goes to battle with her brother's armies. So there is effectively a civil war happening in Egypt. And this first battle, she loses. And, you know, I mean, it's a good fight, but ultimately, she's lost. And this has taken her, like, a good year or two to, like, amass these forces... So now she's back to the drawing board. She needs to gain support again because she's not going to give up. 
So by the time Ptolemy is 13, he's happy as Larry sitting on the throne of Egypt. Unfortunately for him is that she isn't stopping. So she's got more of an army. There's sort of infighting going on. And meanwhile, Julius Caesar and Pompey are having this conflict and it leads them into Egypt. And while they're in Egypt, uh, and remember Ptolemy? Yeah, he's he's atop the throne in Egypt. A 13-year-old ruling a country. And he rules it with the same maturity and level-headedness that one would expect a hormonal teenager to do. He gets a bit sneaky-sneaky and has Pompey executed. And then, to prove to Julius Caesar that Egypt was not, like, protecting him, he delivers Pompey's head. Now, to Julius Caesar, this is, like, a massive affront to to Rome. Like, this is a Roman citizen, and you fucking beheaded him? What the actual fuck? Like, also, meanwhile, this is happening, Cleopatra learned that Julius Caesar, it was, like, a known secret, right? That he had a thing for royal women. And this is where the carpet myth comes from. So there's three versions of this story. The first one, Cleopatra is smuggled inside um, Julius Caesar's, like, whatever, hut, palace, whatever the fuck he's in. She's smuggled in in a carpet. The second story is that she's smuggled in in a sack and once like the sack is opened she's in just like all of this gorgeous regalia and the third story is she just arranged a meeting like she arranged a diplomatic meeting with Julius Caesar but when he showed up she made sure that she was dressed to the nines and looked like absolute fucking royalty and she pleaded with Julius Caesar to help her get her you know get her country back and fight her brother and he was like can y'all not just make a truce like this is an internal issue and you really need to like resolve this like I'm not involved and then when he receives you know the decapitated head of his one-time friend mm, he he decides no he's gonna he's gonna side with Cleopatra on this one so there's this battle (laughs) There's this battle with um with Ptolemy and his his army. And at one point, like Julius Caesar is like defeated in this little battle and he has to take off his cloak and everything else and his gear and jump into the river. So you know the purple cloak is very much what the Royal Romans wore effectively. And Arsinoe, who's like 14, 15 at this point, like she's pretty young, it's like she snatches the fucking cloak and she waves it back at Caesar as in a big fuck you, like, <laughs> yeah, um, the, yeah, so because she took the side of Ptolemy, in the end Ptolemy gets drowned in the river Nile, bye bye Ptolemy, and Cleopatra takes her place on the throne. This time alongside her even younger brother, Ptolemy the Fourteenth. Now to get the ick. 
Time to remember that Julius Caesar at this point was like 52 years old and Cleopatra was 21. So while she's on the throne of Egypt, they become lovers and she gives birth to Ptolemy, the, the 15th Caesar. Um, and he's nicknamed Caesarian. So she is forever claiming that he is Caesar's son. And Caesar basically does not confirm that. So like his current wife, who I think is his third wife, like they don't have any children together. So whether it was a respect thing or what, but like everybody knew that they were together, that they were an item. But anyway, Cleopatra like tries to convince Caesar to name Caesarian his heir, like his official heir. Uh, he does not do that. He's got like one daughter, I think, from a from his like I think it's from his first marriage. He's got her, um, but he ends up naming his nephew Octavian, also known as Augustus, as his successor. And Cleopatra isn't happy about this, but you know, she knows when to pick her battles. All the while, she is making these public declarations that you know, Caesarian is Caesar's son and he is silent like Julius Caesar he doesn't like confirm nor deny he just doesn't mention it but she's going yep that's his son it's him yep look Caesar little Caesar there you go and like the weird thing is they don't exactly hide the relationship and like he invites Ptolemy and Cleopatra to visit Rome and then he bestows like official titles of like friends of Rome on them and they stay in his palace like they're staying with him in this and it's just yeah and what's really funny as well is that Cleopatra is she used to wear her hair in like this very traditional like Greek style so it was like curls and twists and things like that and it was so popular, like Cleopatra was very much the it girl of the day that because she was so popular, Roman women started dressing and wearing their hair like Cleopatra did to the point where like Roman women were being um, like confused for Cleopatra, like people would stop them in the street and be like, Cleopatra, and it was like, no, it's just like Copernica or Helena or whoever, you know? So Cleopatra isn't like being chill and hiding in the background. She's involved in doing shit. So she gets like a member of her court to come in and chat to Julius Caesar and they basically work out, you know, the calendar. The calendar that we know now, the reason leap years exist, that's all because Cleopatra made these two dudes talk. Like, you know. So there's that. And while she's there, Julius Caesar, even though, again, he's not, like, declaring anything, like, audibly, he ends up, fuck, he gets a golden statue of Cleopatra put in a temple of Venus. Now, this pissed people off. Like, this was seen as, as, kind of like heresy. Like, it was disrespectful. No, not only had he put a statue of this woman, like this Egyptian Greek woman in their temple, what he had done is he had inadvertently, or maybe advertently, him's to say, he had linked 
you know, not only Cleopatra to Venus, but Venus to the goddess Isis. Like, mmm, this, this left a bad taste in a lot of mouths. So while they're there in Rome, um, well, as you know, things didn't go too well for Julius Caesar round about the Ides of March. So middle of March, boom, 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 stabby, stabby. He gets stabbed, what, 44 times? And you'd think that this would be the point where she'd be like, fuck, time to get the fuck out of Dodge. She stays for a month. Like, she doesn't leave till mid-April. She stays in Rome. Her lover and supporter has been murdered by the very people who were supposed to support him. You'd think she'd fuck off, like, get the hell out of Dodge. But she goes, no, fuck this for a game of soldiers. And what does she do? She tries to um, get Caesarian named as Caesar's heir. Like, she's working on this. She is, she is proper stage momming it. She was going down to the ground. But unfortunately, because his will stated that it was going to be Octavian, Octavian it was. So when he arrives in Italy, Octavian, the very day that Octavian arrives in Italy is the very day that Cleopatra nopes out of there and gets back to Egypt. Like, nope, out she goes. So there she is with Ptolemy the 14th and they're co-ruling Egypt and then, oh, what do you know? He's been poisoned. Oh, dearie me. So that's him out the way. Here's the thing about the Ptolemaic, you know, line regime anyway, is that it's basically a game of fuck, marry, kill, except, you know, it's not a game and it's with your family. What do you get when you take two childhood friends with a passion for unexplored history and a whole lot of booze? <laughs> you get the goofiest game in history, Queen's Podcast. Hi, I'm Nathan. And I'm Katie. And we're the host of Queen's Podcast. Join us while we spill the tea on women from history. We get into all kinds of stories here, like biographies of lesser known figures. For instance, Saida Haltura, powerful pirate queen. To the stories you might already know, like Marie Antoinette or Cleopatra, but with a fun twist. Each queen is paired with a cocktail that'll totally get you in the mood to hear fun, juicy, and dramatic stories from history. Because history is so much more than just dudes on a battlefield, and we believe that the female perspective and roles are just as deserving of their time in the spotlight. Right. So come get to know these queens. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Cheers. Everybody shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. They've done weird things. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth 
for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the Box of Oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. Ugh. So they're doing this anyway. He dies. He's murdered. Off he goes. She poisoned him. Whoops. And next thing you know, you know, she's supposed to have a male co-ruler. So what does she do? She elevates her son to become co-ruler. So her and Caesarian are co-regents of Egypt. Meanwhile in Rome, so Octavian, Mark Antony, and Marcus Emilius Lepidus, I've probably fucked up that name. Anyway, they formed the second triumvirate in what is it, 43 BCE. And so effectively they're, um, they're all elected for these five-year terms to restore order to the Roman Republic and to bring Caesar's assassins to justice. So Cleopatra, she's in Egypt and she starts getting messages from like Gaius Cassius Longinus, who was one of the people who fucking assassinated Julius Caesar, and Dolabella, who was this um, Caesarian loyalist, effectively. So they both ask her for aid and help, and so she goes to Gaius, like she writes a letter saying, oh no, oh there's too many internal conflicts in Egypt right now, I couldn't possibly help, while sending like all of the military that um, Caesar had left in, in Egypt. She had sent them on, you know, to Dolabella. Unfortunately, they're captured in Palestine by Cassius. Then, to add insult to injury, her governor of Cyprus defects and goes to Cassius. And Cleopatra being Cleopatra, she personally takes her own naval fleet to Greece to help Octavian and Mark Antony fight this bastard, right? But there's like this storm in the Mediterranean and everything is just her fleet is just so badly damaged that she's too late to come and help the fighting but by the next year like Mark Anthony he defeats Gaius like he wins in the battle of Philippi 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 Mm, someone will correct me uh he defeats the forces of like Caesar's assassins And this leads Brutus and Gaius to both commit suicide. So after, you know, all this blows over and Mark Anthony sets himself up, he invites Cleopatra to join him to visit. And she's like, no, I'm okay, thanks. (laughs) Like straight away, just, "Mm -mm, I'm fine. Even though he's effectively got control over half of, like, the Roman Empire, and Octavian's got the other half. And like Lepidius, he's just got like this tiny sliver. So when he sets himself up, he invites Cleopatra over, she rebuffs him, and then he sends like a special envoy. And then she thinks it's almost as if after receiving the information that he had such great power and control, she thought it might be worthwhile to meet with him. Who'd have thunk it? It's almost as if aligning herself with people in power was something that she knew to do. Ha. Huh. So Mark Anthony wanted her to meet him at Tarsos so that she could officially clear her name. So she was invited by the triumvirate to basically go and 
plead her case because there was this whole misconception that she had supported Cassius. But yeah, she knew what she was doing. So she decided to show up in fucking style. I mean, I love a bit of extra. I can't, I can't deny it. So she sailed down the Nile on a golden barge adorned with purple sails and silver oars while she was dressed as the goddess Aphrodite. So purple, as you know, is a Roman colour. Like, it's a royal Roman colour. And she's a queen, so she can do whatever the fuck she wants, really. So she made sure that she was just the most ultimately dramatic extra, just entrance. I fucking love it. So she knew, because she's she had spies learning things, because she's not a fucking idiot. She's a mastermind. She had information. She knew that Mark Anthony basically fancied himself to be the the human embodiment of Dionysus, the Greek god of wine and revelry. So he meets her. He is just so fucking impressed. Like, wow. And, you know, she gets off on all the charges. Everyone believes her. Everything's good. And she ends up inviting Mark Anthony to Egypt, to Alexandria, really. And when he shows up in Alexandria, he actually ends up with this really good welcome. So he is, well, he doesn't have an occupying force, which is tip top. But he was also, like, when he was really young, he was part of, like, the campaign to get her father back on the throne. So that was welcomed. And also, like, he had, you know, brought Cleopatra in. Like, it was a whole thing. So, yes. She also, somewhere in here, convinces them that her sister Arsinoe needs to be sent to, like, a temple to be banished, right? So she gets banished and sent to a temple, which is its own thing. It meant that she was, I mean, she was out the way, but it also meant that she was protected. Like, um, being in the temple was also kind of like sanctuary. Like, if you were a member of the temple, like, you were safe. So when she gets murdered on the steps of the temple, it does not look good for Antony and Cleopatra. Like, that's a big no-no. Like, that's not good. So the two of them together, they start this drinking club, right? And they have these mad parties, and they're hunting together and playing dice and partying. And she's watching him do military exercises. Like, things are going well. She gets pregnant with twins. um, Alexander Helios and Cleopatra Selene. So, sun and moon. It's supposed to usher in a new era kind of thing. And Mark Antony, he goes, yep, those are my kids. He claims it, he doesn't hide it. It's a whole thing. And, yeah, they have this... God, the drinking club, yeah. Um, the society of inimitable lovers. So they would have games and contests and wearing disguises and playing pranks on people, elaborate games, feasts, wine binges. It was just these massive, just fun things. Lots of, I don't know, it just sort of 
feels like she's there and she wasn't doing any of this kind of shit when she was with Caesar. She was just kind of around, but she's very much leading into his diagnosis like issue and very much being what he wanted in that time. Like she's being who she needs to be for him at that time, you know, to have his support. So unfortunately for Cleopatra um, and Mark Antony, he's married to Octavian's sister, Octavia, because, you know, unoriginal names are not just limited to Egyptian society. So they're married, they have kids, but Antony's still off gallivanting with Cleopatra. And she gets him, you know, because he's got like half of the power of Rome and the Roman Empire, like she gets him to like give what was previously Egyptian lands back to her and they end up having like another kid as well. And so they have three kids together. And so what she does is she gets him to like sign off on decrees, you know, giving like Cyprus to one kid Syria to another, so on and so forth. Like, they get married in this Egyptian ceremony, even though he already has a Roman wife in Rome. It's one of those things where it's like legitimate in one way and illegitimate in another. But yeah, so there's there's this going on. Meanwhile, Octavian, he's trying to like gain power himself. Like, he's really unhappy with Mark Antony and he starts this propaganda campaign against Cleopatra. So he continuously promotes this as, this is a foreign queen and she's been given rule, she's been given power, she is tainting, like, the men of Rome. It's like, she destroyed Julius Caesar, she's luring Mark Antony and bewitching him with her wiles and witchcraft because she's the big whore with magic vagina or something because of course she cannot be an intelligent witty erudite just smart fucking woman who knows how to I don't know maybe she was really good at manipulation that doesn't mean she was a slut like it's just continuous like she's she went to countries without an interpreter because she spoke all their fucking languages and so she'd always have the upper hand. She always aligned herself with the more powerful men who were ruling, you know? So basically shit goes bad for Mark Antony and he has to, well, how do I put this? Um, he needs troops. So Octavian sends his sister Mark Antony's wife, Octavia, with 2,000 troops to show up to give to Mark Antony so that he can, you know, do what he needs to do. Um, but it was meant to be like a really embarrassing thing, like, look how he has treated his poor wife back home. But what's funny about this is that Octavia never leaves Mark Antony's household. Like, she could, she's within her rights because the way that Octavian had promoted this the way that he had put it out there like she was a woman who was life has been destroyed by this foreign whore effectively and you know Rome would have been on her side 
But she didn't leave the household. She didn't want to leave the household. I don't know why. But, like, it seems like she was pretty okay with him not being around. Maybe she... I mean, let's face it, he does seem like a pretty immature guy. Pretty dramatic. And she seems to be okay with him not being, you know, in the vicinity. You know, maybe she's like, yeah, okay, Cleopatra, you have him, it's fine, yay. You know? Plus, her brother is, you know, another part of the triumvirate. So, like, it's fine. It's not as if she doesn't have power or access to it. And, like, the only reason that Mark Antony and Octavia got married, it was supposed to be this sort of agreement to help settle the rule of Rome. So maybe she wasn't even into the marriage. She was like, fine, I guess. You know, because they got married after the twins were born. So, eh. Maybe she just wasn't into it. Maybe she just wasn't that into him, which would be really funny. So yes, Octavian is pissed. Because, you know, not only have you got the fact that his sister's husband is, you know spending time with a foreign queen but they also did this um they did this big celebration called the donations of alexandria and they signed this um thing and it's the intention to rule the civilized world uh so like again this is where they split everything off this kid will get this this kid will get that and so he's like oh no no he's giving roman land to this foreign woman Gobble, 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 gobble. And he, like, does this whole thing about how they want to move the capital of Rome to Alexandria. It's like, they're going to take everything from us. Ugh, dirty foreigners. <sighs> Where have we heard this before? But Egypt, at this point, is, like, flourishing under Cleopatra's rule. So, like, when Mark Antony, when he wanted to, like, go to war and shit, he would come back to her for money. And she's like, yeah, okay. But give me shit first. So she would get him to send legal things and she would finance stuff. And, you know, she was kind of like a sugar mummy, I think, to Mark Antony for a bit. She partied with him. She paid for him to go and fight the Parthians and stuff. You know, sugar mummy stuff. Oh, that's right. Mark Antony is a dramatic little bitch and a sugar baby. That's right. You heard it here first, lads. Anywho, in order to, like convince you know Rome that Cleopatra was the fucking enemy he gets a copy he gets the copy of Mark Antony's will because he's gone back and he's you know he wants to get divorced from Octavia it's been a whole thing and this is just the spark which is perfect for Octavian so he goes into the temple of Vestral Virgins and takes the will which is again not a thing you're supposed to do it's meant to be like a big no-no and, and so he gets that and he reads the will and it basically says that Caesarian is Caesar's heir, not Octavian. And that the donations of Alexandria were like all above board and that Mark Antony wanted to be buried in Egypt next to Cleopatra instead of Rome. So all of this together basically just fueled the propaganda machine and it fucking worked. And Rome, the Roman Senate, declares war on Cleopatra. So, 
31 BCE, the Battle of Actium. It's this naval battle. It's in, well, it's off the west coast of Greece, really. And Cleopatra and Mark Antony are both there. Like a bunch of Roman generals, they were like, listen, you know, a lot of Rome feel like you're defecting. So probably best not to have Cleopatra there. Plus she could easily better defend Egypt from fucking Egypt. And Cleopatra demands to be there. She demands to be seen. She's not going to be put on the sidelines. And Mark Antony obviously isn't going to go against her because she's the one who brought like several hundred fucking ships to the fleet. He's not fucking with that. So upon seeing her there, a bunch of Romans just, they fucking leave. They're defect to the other side. They're gone. And Cleopatra and Antony have like a bigger fleet, but like not everyone is as well trained as like the Romans because they had like merchant vessels and all this shit like because Cleopatra is a very good orator she was very good at convincing people to do things so you know even though there's more of them when you're against somebody who's like incredibly better trained than you surprisingly enough things do not go well so they fucking lose and Antony and Cleopatra just flee for Egypt out of the way, adios, au revoir, bye-bye. But as they're leaving, so he like gets on her fucking ship and he doesn't speak to her for three days. Like, he's pouting. Like, her ladies-in-waiting have to come and like urge him to speak to her when it's like... They kept trying to push her out of the battle and she kept trying to protect Egypt and it was a whole... Oh, it was just a consistent just clash. So, they he's pouting, they don't speak for ages, and then when they get to Egypt, they go their separate ways. He goes one, she goes the other. Like, he goes off to Serene to try and, like, get more troops, and she goes on to the harbour in Alexandria, basically to kind of imply that, you know, they've, they're doing well, that they are winning battles, because she doesn't want like a drop in morale and she doesn't want any excuse for rebellion because remember she's she already saw her like father be exiled and her sister get overthrown and you know several family members get murdered so she knows to be careful so mark antony he's headed to serene turns out the duty left in charge ends up defecting to octavian's side and so mark antony on hearing this almost commit suicide but doesn't like almost well people are trying to convince him to like like you know just betray Cleopatra and go back to Octavian meanwhile Cleopatra is back in Egypt and she's putting everything in place basically to declare like Caesarian the ruler of Egypt the next ruler like she is getting everything in place for her son to make sure that Everything is going to go well for him. Probably because she realised that the very dramatic man is probably, you know, um, maybe just a teeny weeny itsy bitsy bit of a liability, you know. So Cleopatra's plan was to just abdicate. She was going to relinquish the throne, give it to Caesarian, and then she would just fuck off to somewhere in the Mediterranean. Because it's not as if she didn't have money and, you know, the gift of the gab. She would have been okay. She was getting ready to just survive. 
She was getting ready to, like, all she always done throughout her whole life, survive. But over the next, like, six months to a year, like, her and Mark Antony are both, like, sending messages to Octavian. They're trying to negotiate, like, this whole thing. And Octavian only responds to Cleopatra, completely ignores Mark Antony. It's, it's a little bit funny, actually. Like, he'll deal with Cleopatra. Because, I mean, she is the one with the real power here. Because, uh, you know, he's beaten Mark Antony in so many ways that, like, he's not exactly that relevant. So, Cleopatra asks that, you know, you know, requests, shall we say, that her children inherit Egypt and that Antony should be allowed to live in exile in Egypt. And she offers Octavian, like, money and treasure and, like, sends him, like, all of these, like, amazingly expensive, rich, lavish gifts. Like, she's trying to, like, cajole him a wee bit. And also then, when that isn't working, she's like, I will burn myself to death and all of my treasure, like, in this tomb that I have already constructed because here's the thing Egyptians like basically built their tombs pretty quick during their lives usually so that it was ready for them when they did pass so um Octavian sends like a diplomat after she threatens to burn herself and all of her treasure and money because obviously that's probably the more important thing and like, he's got his diplomats there, and he tells her to kill Anthony so that her life is spared. But then Anthony finds out about it, and he has the diplomat fucking whipped and flogged and sent back to Anthony without a... Sorry, sent back to Octavian without a deal. Now, I just... So Cleopatra is clearly trying to negotiate here and you know finding out the best way to work with Octavian and Mark Antony's like fuck this fuck you kicking over chairs and shit like it's not it's not the most diplomatic of um ways shall we say (sighs) okay eventually Octavian sees like he's not getting anywhere so he invades Egypt you know and so he invades and Mark Antony fights him and so on and so forth. Um, eventually Antony's defeated and Octavian gets into Egypt. And Cleopatra is hiding in her tomb. And she sends a note to Mark Antony saying that she's committed suicide, which she hasn't because she's clearly alive. So just overwhelmed with emotion or some shit, Mark Antony stabs himself in the stomach because... I mean, I feel like as as a warrior and someone who's been, you know, in battle quite a bit, you probably know the best way to kill a person and stabbing yourself in the stomach is a very slow and excruciating way to die. Like, that, that's, that's, that's some drama queen action right there. Like, that's... Mm. So he ends up being, like, taken to the tomb where he's, like, fucking bleeding out and tells her, you know, there's one person you can still, you know, trust. You can trust this guy you stood. Unfortunately, no, you fucking can't. 
Because what happens is Gaius comes in, grabs her by the hair and drags her out of the tomb to Octavian. When Octavian rolls in, uh, he allows Cleopatra to embalm and bury Mark Antony. Like, he Why? Why would he give her permission to do things? And then she's kicking about in her tomb. I don't know if you've been in a tomb, but Egyptian tombs, and they're built with pressure. So they're effectively airtight. It's, it's a very complicated scenario. They're very much airtight. You can't light a fire in them. There's no light coming in. You know, because if you light a fire, the place is full of smoke. And she's going back and forth with Octavia and he says he's going to seize her children. Well, he takes her kids. He's seized her children. Caesarian, she's managed to send away. And he's fled. But her three children with Mark Antony, they're still there. And he says he's planning to bring them back to Rome. Here's the thing. If he did bring them back to Rome, like, it wouldn't have been hard to, you know, promote himself as a great leader who protected the children of Mark Antony, you know? Like, it wouldn't be a big deal. But, you know, there's this whole thing about how he doesn't kill her, but then doesn't, um, doesn't, tell her what he's going to do with her and then apparently I, I distrust apparently but apparently you know some spy lets her know that he's planning to parade her in Rome which honestly I don't think would have been an incredibly clever thing to do like mm, mm. anyway so Cleopatra is in this tomb or she's in her palace now, here's the thing. There's, it's always assumed she's in the tomb because she'd hidden in the tomb earlier. But there's no real proof as to whether she was in her tomb or in her palace when she died. Because if she's in her tomb, okay, the story is she's in the tomb, a basket of figs is brought into her and in it is an asp. She puts the asp against her breast it kills her and then her maids take it and they kill them. Um, a note has been sent to Octavian. By the time he gets there, the last maid is dying. Couple of fucking problems with this as I am someone who is obsessed with poison and venom, okay? Just, listen, it's we all have our hobbies, okay? So Cleopatra is one way or another really close to Octavian. They're either in the same building or they're in adjacent buildings. So you're talking somewhere between three and eight minutes, probably, to get from one to the other. Like, logically, thinking about the size of buildings and, you know, the fact that he would have fucking rushed if she was to be a prize and she's killed herself, right? Because she kept threatening to burn herself. Like, if her body is burned... How could anyone prove that it was her body that, you know, you know, to be paraded? So let's talk about the asp. When people think of an asp, it's generally portrayed as like this skinny little, you know, wibbly wobbly snake. An Egyptian asp, well, it's, it's a fucking cobra. 
It is a cobra. Can you imagine trying to smuggle in a cobra? Fuck off. Not only that, when they come in, where's the fucking cobra? There is no explanation. Nobody sees a cobra. Nobody sees any kind of snake. They just see marks on her body, right? Also, you know, if you were bitten by a cobra, it's going to take you like six hours to die. Now, you're going to be a slow death where your muscles will like atrophy and then you will suffocate, you know. So those maids watched this happen and then went, yup. So they would have also, like, you think that snake is going to patiently just like bite all three of you one at a time? And you're telling me neither of these maidens were like scared after, you know, of getting fucking bitten? And, like, again, how could the last one just die when Octavian objectively has to be very close to them? Because he's not going to leave because he's not going to lose this. Like, Octavian was negotiating with her for a fucking year before Mark Anthony killed himself. And now he's killed himself. So, you know... She is probably a smarter person to work with than anybody else. Could she have poisoned herself? Perhaps. She knew about poisons. She was very smart about poisons. Could have poisoned herself and her maids. But she probably would have poisoned the maids first. You know, like, logically. But also... All the information we have about Cleopatra's death come from copies of Octavian's writing. Like, it's all from them. So, why do we assume that this woman, who has always and continuously showed herself to be a survivor, would suddenly give up? Like, she'd already sent this fake suicide note to Mark Antony. And why would she send a suicide note to Octavian, knowing that, you know, if it is the snake, that he was going to be there? Like, he would have, he would have, like, he could have stopped her because they would have had to send the note and then had the cobra do its bitey bitey venom venom thing, you know? Like, and you have to ensure that the snake has enough venom to go around, like, three fully grown women. So it all just seems a little fucking sus. Like, and, and we don't have her body yet. If these guys do find her tomb, then we might have some actual fucking answers. They can scan it and see if there was any, like, mortal wounds on her body. Because it very much seems, like, just so out of character for her to just end her own life. Especially knowing that she couldn't protect her children when she had done so much, she'd put so much in place to ensure that they would be protected, they would have separate rules they would have separate countries you know everything was done 
to ensure they were protected and supported and safe, she had made sure to send Caesarian away so that he would be protected. She was planning to give up her rule because she knew, you know, what, effectively what the, the public opinion of her was from Rome. And she had to protect Egypt and she had to protect her children. But by killing herself, she puts all of them in danger. Like, it just doesn't fucking add up. And like, it just doesn't add up. And in 30 BCE, in August, Cleopatra, the last great ruler of Egypt, dies. Pretty convinced she was murdered. Or it was some kind of accidental death. Like somebody lost their temper. They were trying to get, you know, information out of her. Something. And then, you know. Or God, she could have had like a brain embolism or something. It could have been anything. I just genuinely don't think a woman this determined to survive. And to protect all of her kids would just end her own life and put everyone in danger. Just doesn't. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. And God, so Octavian then declares his name, his new name, his ruling name, Augustus. After the month in which he defeated Cleopatra by her dying, Um, but for some reason, for somebody who didn't care about Cleopatra, didn't respect her or anything like that, he apparently allows her to be buried properly in the Egyptian way with Mark Antony. Like in her tomb with the necessary um, like treasures and valuables and everything, you know, fucking Egyptian. Apparently he allows this to happen before like taking over the rule of Egypt. Also, Caesarian is, you know, the ruler of Egypt for 18 days before he is unceremoniously murdered. And her children with Mark Antony are sent to Octavia, like his former wife. And the boys kind of mysteriously disappear from history. But Octavia arranges for Cleopatra Selene to get, like, wed to a great supporter of her brother and you know they they have a pretty okay life actually things work out pretty okay for her but yeah it's it's just the boys just whew, disappear and so ends the story of cleopatra kind of because she will be continuously slandered well you can't slander the dead but lied about and misinformation spread just continuously labelled as a harlot. When chalk, surprise, she was so much more if she was that. <sighs> so what have we learned today? The easiest thing to gain and the hardest thing to lose as a woman is a reputation. Boom. Um... Doesn't matter if you're the ruler of, you know, half of a fucking empire, you can still be a giant man, baby. 
and that throughout history, men will always find a way to be shitty to women. Now that that's been said, uh, recommendation time. I am going to recommend for listening. If you don't already listen to Murder Most Irish, you should be listening to Murder Most Irish. They're fucking fantastic. Go listen to them now. For watching, I'm going to recommend White Lotus. Um, it's, I, I'm kind of feeling it. Um, I'm going to do a second recommendation, actually. Watch Glass Onion. If you haven't watched The Glass Onion, you're seriously depriving yourself of some murder mystery, dark comedy. Love it. Fantastic. Brilliant. And for reading, I'm going to recommend Richard Osman's The Thursday Murder Club. So um, I haven't read the other two yet, but I've read that one and it's very good. Go read it. It's fun. It's, it's sleuthy. It's good. You're going to love it. So uh, that being said, uh, if you want to remember, if you want to, it's the new year. You know, we're moving on into whatever we, energy we want to put out there. So if you are uh, an artist who wants to do some kind of image portrait thing, I've had a few people message me about it, so I'll put it out here too. If you want to have a chat, if there's anything you want me to you know, look into or in, any topic you want to recommend, you can, like you can email me, all the stuff's on my website. You can always DM me on Instagram is the easiest way to get a hold of me. Um... Yeah, you know, just message me if you want. If you haven't, if you want to say something, you can always just give me a wee message. Um, if you want to support the podcasts, po- podcasts, one podcast, then you can just like follow me on socials and share stuff there. Share this episode with your friends. Rate and review five stars and say nice things about me. You can say what you want. It doesn't really matter. I mean, do I like it when I get compliments? Absolutely. Of course. Actually, Sidebar before I leave. Someone was complaining that, you know, again about my chest and how it's an issue because apparently I cannot be a historian and have a bosom. Like, sorry for having great facts and even greater tits. Whoops a daisy. But like, they're just there sometimes. Like, I posted videos that I had recorded during a heat wave. But I hadn't posted because um, another historian friend of mine had posted something similar. And, you know, overlap is fine. But sometimes when stuff's too close together, it feels like copying. And I don't want people to tag me saying they copied me or vice versa. And it's, you know, it's it's fine. But yeah, so that's where that is. And, oh, because I have an obsession with, like, vintage murder mysteries, I was thinking of doing like a TikTok live or an Instagram live where I would read chapters from well like old school murder mysteries or mysteries in general but I don't know whether to like do it on the Who Did What Now channel or whether to like make a separate one and I don't know what to do so if any of you have any opinions on that feel free to just message me about it tweet me all that jazz because I I go through all them I might not reply to everything Um, just because I'm so busy, but we'll see how we get on. But with that, I'm going to wish you all a happy new year. I hope you all have a good one, or at least have at least one good month where things aren't fucking shit and horrible, you know? 
but I shall wish you good night. Adios, au revoir, au revoir, my friends. Uh, bye bye.